0: admit, I I love speaking to men, and the reason is it's straightforward, you know, even more straightforward than I'm here, if you can believe, than when I'm here, a little more straightforward and uh, you know kind of can tell it like it is guys are single minded and you know once their minds are made up nothing gets in the way of a man determined to accomplish his goal You know, and and it starts I believe in our youth and the story that I heard I think exemplifies this but uh, the story is told of a small boy who was sent to bed by his father and five minutes later he heard dad, dad the father yells down the hallway what, what do you want he goes dad, I want a drink of water as dad yells back, you had your chance to have a drink. You don't get a drink of water. Go to sleep. Three or four minutes later, dad, dad, I need a drink of water. The dad yells back, I told you, you're not going to get a drink. Go to sleep. Again, it happens again. This time the dad yells back, listen, if I hear you one more time, I'm going to come in there and spank you No, go to sleep. A few minutes go by and he hears, dad, dad. When you come in to spank me, will you bring a drink of water? (laughs) Determined. Determined. And it doesn't change as we get older, does it, fellas? It's Super Bowl Sunday. Bob got a a a ticket for the Super Bowl. He got a ticket for the Super Bowl, but it was only one seat. He shows up at the stadium. He's sitting in the last, very last seat in the very last row of the stadium. And anybody that gets a seat like that knows the first thing you do is you use those binoculars to find yourself a better seat. <laughs> so Bob was looking around and looking around, and the first quarter he sees an empty seat. As time goes on, the seat's still empty. At the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, this seat's still empty. He can't believe it. Bob works his way down to the seat. He goes, excuse me, sir, I see that the seat is empty. He goes, who would have a seat to the Super Bowl and not show up? He goes, well, actually, it's my seat. He goes, it's your seat. He goes, yeah, it was for my wife. My wife and I haven't missed a Super Bowl since 1969. He said, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. What happened? He goes, well, she died. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, but couldn't you have brought a friend or some family or somebody to come with you? He said, I didn't think it would be right to ask them. They're all at her funeral today. (laughs) Focused, determined. That may be one I leave here. No promises, though. No promises. You know, while, while steadfastness and determination has its upsides, stubbornness at the expense of truth, holding to conclusions without the support of evidence, without examining the facts, can result in dire consequences. Today we're going to conclude our study that has focused on addressing the question, who is Jesus? And unfortunately, far too many people have wrongly concluded that Jesus is merely a good man, a moral teacher, a God of one of many gods, an ideal to consider following, etc. And yet they've come to that conclusion without examining the evidence that is clearly before them. Oftentimes stubbornness and pride comes before the fallen. God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We're told that we're to humble ourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he will exalt us at the proper time. And so to be stubborn or steadfast and immovable in areas where we're wrong has dire consequences. And for those who believe that Jesus is somebody other than who he claims to be, the Bible clearly has given us evidence throughout the series that Jesus is God. He's revealed as the Son of God, he's revealed as equal with the Father, He's revealed as the Lord and the Lord of glory. He himself claimed to be God, to be able to forgive sin, to give eternal life. So the names, the claims, the works, and the purpose of Jesus are clearly identified for us in the Bible. And today in our final message in this series and my final message here at Calvary Church, I couldn't think of a better message to share than to share with all who will listen the promises of Jesus. To focus upon the promises of Jesus... And if you'll turn with me to Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18, we'll find the first of six promises that I can't promise that we'll get to each of those six promises. But the good news is that the promises that Jesus make, we can bank on them and we can count on them. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Jesus identifies one of the promises that he makes to all people. And in Matthew chapter 5, here we go. In verse 17, he, he says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. You know, in this particular passage, Jesus promises that his word will never pass away. The reliability of his word. In this passage, Jesus promised that his word was so sure that not one letter of the Hebrew alphabet, not the smallest part of the Hebrew letter, would pass away until every single part of his word has been fulfilled. Every promise of both judgment and blessing will be fulfilled. Every promise both in the Old Testament and the New Testament will be fulfilled. So that we would not miss it, he again shares in Matthew 24, verse 35, the same promise. That, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall endure forever. You know, we can count on his promises because God cannot lie. And since the Bible clearly identifies Jesus as God, Jesus therefore cannot lie. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and we'll see a passage that helps us to understand that the promises that Jesus made are promises that we can be guaranteed will be filled. The reliability of the word of God. You know, the longer that I walk with the Lord, the more I recognize how reliable his words truly are. You know, don't be deceived, you know, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap is a principle and a promise that he makes that each one of us have seen fulfilled even in our own lifetime. The promises that God makes are very clear that they will be fulfilled. In Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 13, we read the words, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to his heirs in the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath... In order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. You know, it says, for when God made the promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant that you'll find in Genesis chapter 22, the promises that were made by God to Abraham were unilateral in nature in that there were promises that God made that were not contingent upon the performance whatsoever of Abraham. It was a unilateral covenant, a covenant that God made with him because God chose to do it. And what that means very simply for each and every one of us is that, you know, God makes certain promises that aren't contingent on how we perform. There are many promises of God that are based upon, you know, our obedience. And those are promises such as I said, if you're obedient, you'll be blessed. If you're disobedient, there'll be consequences for sin. And yet at the same time, there are promises that God makes that have nothing to do with our performance whatsoever, but they're based on the character and the reliability of the word of God. See, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. I love that. I can't help but laugh when I read that because you and I, when we go into a court of law or we see those programs on TV, you know, we see somebody with their right hand held up and their left hand on the Bible, at least it used to be. They're trying to get away from that, which is another joke, but that's another story. But the bottom line is it goes, you know what, do you solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. The highest authority that we can go before in all the universe is the God of glory. Now, God is saying, well, who am I going to swear to but myself? I'm it. I mean, there's no one to go to beyond me. I'm God, and I'm swearing to you, uh, you know, based on who? Based on me. Based on my character. Based on my unchanging attribute." God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's saying, I swear to you on my own character that the promises that I make will be fulfilled. He says, I shall surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. If you remember in our study throughout the series, turn back quickly to John chapter eight and we'll see exactly how Jesus related the promise of God in Genesis 22 to his fulfillment of that promise in John chapter eight, starting with verse 52. Hold your place in both places. That's why you got, That's why. well, it's too late for some of you. That's all right. I'm sure you'll be able to find it when we go back. The Jews said to Jesus, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I do know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said, sure, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Your father Abraham lived to see this day when the promise that God made him will be fulfilled and he has seen it and he is glad. God's promise is fulfilled exactly as he says it will be. You know, man is asked to swear by God, but God has no one greater than him to whom he must swear an allegiance or an oath. You know, the awesome truth is that based on Hebrews, as we read this and we see this, He said, He's patiently awaited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by greater than themselves, and then with an oath. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath in order that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We We who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. The Jews understood what it meant to flee to refuge. There were cities of refuge that were set up all in the Old Testament where those who were guilty of violating God's commandment could flee to find refuge. What he is saying is a play on words. He's saying, as you fled to the cities for refuge, you know that God protected you there. He promised that you would. And he's saying, for those of us who have fled to the refuge of Jesus Christ on the cross and him crucified and the power of his resurrection, he says, just as those fled to the cities of refuge and found protection in God, So those of us who have fled to the cross and found refuge in our relationship with Christ, our salvation is guaranteed by God and him alone. You know, we often hear people struggle with, you know, can anybody ever lose their salvation? And the answer is very simple, no, because if you have genuinely been born again from above, the reality of it is very simple, and that's this. It's not by our works that we've been saved. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. And not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so that none of us could ever boast. How could we lose something that we had nothing to do in obtaining other than just turning to Christ and asking for forgiveness of our sins? The Bible says that once saved, always saved because our salvation is based on the promises of God. You who have fled to the refuge of the cross of Jesus Christ can rest assured and be encouraged that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Is that awesome? And it's all based on the trustworthiness of God. Is God trustworthy? Turn back to the book of Titus chapter one. As Paul introduces to Titus a similar theme. In Titus chapter one, verses one through four, we see Paul writing to Titus saying, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen by God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to the godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word and the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In Titus chapter 1, we see Paul reiterating this truth of the character of God, God who made this promise God who cannot lie. There are no shifting shadows in God. The Bible over and over again, Numbers 23, 19, 1 Samuel 15, 29, James 1, 17, Malachi 3, 6 tells us that God cannot change and that God cannot lie. He is not like man who is deceitful and many times trying to promote or encourage some type of agenda, trying to get to some end result. The Bible says that in God there is no darkness at all. What you see is what you get. What he says is what we can bank on. The promises of God, the reliability of his word, we can trust him. The reason it's so hard for many of us to trust God is that it's so hard for us to trust one another. We have all failed each other miserably. We have all made promises that we have not keep. We have been made promises by others in which those promises were not kept. And as a result, we become so cynical and disillusioned and even bitter and, and, and angry. And somehow we believe that that's, God is like that, that he's just setting us up, that he's not really believable or trustworthy and, and that his word isn't true. But never forget, God is God and we're not him. And in him, there's no darkness at all and there's no shifting shadow on what he says, you can bank on it. And that's why it's so important for you and I as God's people here on earth to let our yes be yes and our no, no. And there are times in life where we tell people things that they don't want to hear, but I'd rather tell them what they don't want to hear than tell them what they do want to hear and be accused later of not being a man of integrity in my relationship with them. We have got to be people who are men and women of integrity. Let our yes be yes and our no, no. And people will clearly understand the reliability of a God who cannot lie. You know, a second promise that's found in John chapter 14, turn back to John 14 in verses 1 through 3. So we see the first promise of Jesus is the reliability of his words. that We can bank on him because his character is pure. He's a holy and a righteous God and in him there's no darkness at all. In him there is no sin or deceit. And, uh, you know, and as we look at this, the second promise is found in John 1, uh, 14 verses 1 through 3. He, he tells his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Notice what he says. He goes, Listen, I'm telling you I'm leaving, and I go to prepare a place for you. If I tell you I'm preparing a place for you, you can bank on it, you can believe it, because I cannot lie to you. My words are trustworthy, I am reliable. And if I go and prepare a place, I wouldn't have told you that if it wasn't true. So just put that out of your mind once and for all. You can trust me. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back for you so that you will be with me. You can bank on that. You can count on that. You can trust me. I've never let you down. And as he goes on in verses 18, he says the same thing. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me and he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. We'll take up residence with him. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The second promise of Jesus is the reality of his presence and peace and the life of those who have come to receive Christ as their savior. You know, before I confessed my sin and accepted Jesus' death and his resurrection on my behalf, I had no peace, nor did I sense God's presence in my life. In fact, my life was dominated by a sense of trouble. I was troubled by family background issues. I was troubled by past failures on my part. I was troubled by uh, past decisions that had present-day implications in my life. You know, I was troubled by the the fact that, you know, I, I didn't understand the meaning or the purpose of life, yet alone what happens to someone after we die. I was troubled by my failures as a husband and my failures as a parent. I was troubled by my inadequacies to be able to provide and protect my family. I was troubled by many things in life, but then I, knew, then I came to know Jesus, but then I met him at the cross. See, when I recognized everything that he said about me was true, which wasn't hard to convince me that there really wasn't much good in me at all, and that one sin condemned me before God and I recognized my guilt. And I confessed that sin before God and threw myself on the mercy of Jesus at the cross, believed that he died on the cross for my sins, and believe he rose again from the dead and had the power to do as he said, to forgive sin and give eternal life. See, the day I met Jesus, all my troubles went away. And the reason that they went away is because the fruit of the Spirit, or the presence of God's Spirit in the life of the believer, the evidence is love, peace, patience. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You see, God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The world is born at enmity with God. And I'm talking about people. People are born into the world at enmity with God. God is our enemy, he's not our friend. And we shake our fist at him. And because of that, we have no peace. We're very troubled because if God is God and everything he says about himself is true, we got a reason to be troubled. But when we come to the cross, the Bible says that Jesus came to bring peace on earth and goodwill to men. See, peace on earth. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And if you are here today and you are troubled at heart, You've got to ask yourself a question, have you ever met him at the cross? Because it's at the cross we we find peace. We find peace with God, a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We find peace even in our own life with ourselves, a contentment that we're in the hands of God and what a wonderful place to be. It's okay and we have peace with one another. As far as it is possible with all men, live in peace with one another. Try the best you can. There's no guarantees it'll happen, but you know what? But you can have for peace knowing that you tried. See, peace with God, peace with self, and peace with one another is a gift from God to those who have come to the cross. See, one of the many promises of Jesus is that of his continuous presence in the life of his people, Yet some of us live like the story that I heard of a little girl recently. And the story is told of a little girl who was on her first airplane ride, and as she was taxiing down the runway, she was trembling. She was about seven or eight years old, and she was with her dad. And as she was going down the runway, she started to tremble, and she gave her dad the old death grip on the arm. And as the plane took off and ascended, the higher and the higher it got, the tighter and tighter that she squeezed. And her dad, wanting to comfort her, grabbed and reached for his Bible and turned to the Bible and opened it up to Matthew chapter 28. And he began to read to her what he believed and understood to be the promise of Jesus. And he began to read and said, in verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And as as he shared with his daughter, he said, look, Jesus said, you don't have to worry, you don't have to be afraid that he will be with us always. And she continued to cry. He said, why are you crying? She said, Daddy, Jesus didn't say that. He said, yes, he did, honey. She said, no, he didn't. Look, he said, lo, I am with you always. He didn't say way up here. (laughs) You know, some of us are like that. You know, personally, I know I need to stop doubting God and take him at his word. I need to stop making excuses for my hesitancy to follow his lead in my life. To stop doubting him. It's so easy to be troubled by change, and yet Jesus promises to be with us always, even to the end of the earth. To give us his peace and to make his presence known. Not the world's version of peace, but his peace. And I realize that a transition time such as this, it's very difficult for some of us, if not most of us, because we get comfortable. But you know what? God doesn't want us comfortable, He wants us obedient. And so we follow his lead and we don't allow him to get so far ahead of us that we lag so far behind we can't even see him leading us any longer. And we certainly don't run out in front of him and tell him where we want to go. And that's why sometimes processes take so long until it becomes very evident what God is trying to tell us. And so I encourage you who are going to take a step of faith and and move out of your comfort zone to trust the promise of Jesus that his presence will be real and his peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is it's gonna be okay. You know what? And I trust him and I believe him. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, God gives us his revelation of his will for our life. You know, some of it's very clear in scripture. Other times it's not as clear. And he tells us to walk by faith, and he reveals as we take that path or that journey of faith. He reveals to us on a need-to-know basis, and the reason's very simple, and that's this. He's not going to tell us all of it because he knows we can't handle it. You know, I read through the book of Revelation, and as God outlines and lays out the, the, the future of the world and everything that we can expect, you know, when John saw it, he felt like a dead man to Jesus' feet. It's like, man, you know what? I'll tell you right now. If I knew everything was involved in getting married <laughs> beforehand, if I knew everything was involved in having children beforehand, if I knew everything was involved in, you know, starting a business beforehand, and if I knew everything was involved in every area of ministry that God has led me beforehand, I would have paralysis by overanalysis. I would just be frozen man I mean I just praise God he just walks with us along the journey it's like man you know no one told us about this I mean I remember leaving the hospital with our daughter you know 28 years ago and thinking what are you people crazy you're giving me this kid to take home do you do you know me are you kidding me oh my goodness I need a note from somebody you know I was like are you nuts Like, I don't, you know, and it's in every area, it's like that. Are you, I mean, let's just face it. You know, God just, he, he reveals as we need to know. And as he reveals, he also reveals his presence and his peace that surpasses all understanding. Isn't that great? I told the men the other night at the men's group. I said, listen, here's what I've come to conclude. I was laying in bed. I've been doing that a lot lately. Um, and, uh, and, and I mean awake. And, um, and, and I was laying there going, you know, and, and God just kind of impressed upon me. He said, Chuck, you know what? The Christian life is an exciting life. Jesus came to give us life and give it abundantly. And I just told these guys, I said, listen, here's what I've come to conclude. If your Christian life's not exciting, then judgment day will be. That was the first original thought that I had in like 20 years. <laughs> but it's true. You know, I just want mine to be, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Next, this one's going to take a little longer, so go ahead on through, Chuck. That's, that's what I want to hear, you know. It's like, man, are you kidding me? The Christian life, exciting life. If you're bored in the Christian life, you're not living it. Get off the bench. Get in the game. And use the gifts that God's given you for his glory and for his honor and for his purposes and for his kingdom. It's good stuff. Thirdly, he he promises the resources that we'll need. The resources of the Holy Spirit. Everything that we need in order to be successful in the eyes of God. He's not calling us to do something that we can't do. He's not leading us to a place where he's going to desert us in the wilderness. I mean, think about it. Israel accused God of not being able to be one that was trustworthy. And when they were out in the wilderness, as God led them, they were like out there going, you know what, God, you know, are you going to leave us out here to die in the wilderness? That's not a good testimony. What's the world going to think? If you bring us out in the wilderness and you let us die out here, everybody in Egypt will think, man, you're not a God we want to follow. And God... Not leaving you out in the wilderness to die. Are you thirsty? Here, watch this. Hit a rock. Here comes water. Are you hungry? Watch this. Actually it was, what's that? Actually, technically in Hebrew, it was what's that? It's manna. It's coming from the sky. I can feed you. You know what? I'm not limited. I own the universe. You know, it's amazing to me. It's like, you know, well, where are you guys gonna go? I don't know, but God's not limited to find a facility. He found a facility. Is it gonna be, you know, everything that everybody wants it to be? No, so get over it right now before you come next week. I hear one person talk about, well, I like the other seats better. I run the second row. Well, good luck trying to figure it out in this new facility what the second row is. But you'll see if you come. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, he promises the resources that we'll need to be successful for his purposes. In John chapter 14, 16 through 18, he says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever, the helper that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know what the most incredible promise of Jesus is? is that God's people, those who come to the cross, trust in Christ, born again from above, that the spirit of God would indwell us permanently. This was amazing. The presence of God will be with us permanently as a down payment of the promises of God that one day he will receive his spirit back to himself and we who have trusted in Christ will be with him. Permanently, the presence of God abiding in the life of the believer and he's called our helper. Literally, he's called our comforter to comfort us. He's our helper, one called alongside to help. What was remarkable is a promise of God that would be permanent, and it, and it took effect the day of Pentecost. If you have truly been born again, the Spirit of God lives within you, and you sense the comfort of God who was called alongside to comfort us in our affliction, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 11. The God of all comfort. How do we get through the things of life that the rest of the world says? How do you get through this? Because the God of all comfort resides within us. How do you go through difficult times in life and you have peace and joy in the midst of all of it? Because the God of comfort who's been called alongside of us comfort us. Like being broke down on the side of the road and one pulls over a motorist to help you to be called alongside to help a person in their time of need. Linda and I, the other night, we were leaving a a little sandwich place, and when we went in, there was this older lady. She was sitting there on a chair, and we saw her when we walked in. We saw her when we walked out, and then as we were backing out, we we looked over, and she was still sitting there, and she kind of looked nervous, and and, and she looked concerned about something. And and, this was according to my wife who actually noticed that. And... um, And, and I said, well, you know what? Well, you know, go see if she's okay, you know? And so she went over to him and said, are you okay? And she said, someone's k- supposed to pick me up. And, you know, and she said, well, how long you been here? Well, they're like an hour late. And it was getting dark. And I said, well, you're supposed to take the dog over to the vets. And I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll ride you home. And she goes, I don't think I should get into your truck with you. And uh, I said, well, yeah, look at us. We're looking like we're looking for someone to kidnap tonight. And, uh, and boy, you look like a prime candidate. And... Uh, and, and so, so she said, well, you know what? They're over at the vet, you know? So we drove over to the veterinarian, and they're closed. And then we came back and said, well, they're not open. They're closed. There's no one there. So where do you live? And she lives, you know, a couple miles from where we were. I said, well, are you sure you don't want to ride? And she said, no, I'd rather not take a ride with you. I said, well, then we'll go drive to your house. She said, well, maybe he's sleeping. So we drive to the house. And the whole way I'm thinking, the whole, I said, Linda, if this guy's here and he's sleeping, and, and we're going to go and say, you know, you need to go pick up, you know, Joanne, uh, you know, at the, at the Bagel me at the Ralph Center. He's going to be like, "Well, if you came all the way here, why don't you bring her?" And then I'll have to explain because she didn't look like she could trust us. I guess. I mean, we look pretty scary. So, you know, we're ringing the doorbell, knocking on the door, no one's answering. We drive all the way back, and by this time, she's gone. Which is fine, I think. I know no one kidnapped her because Joanne's not getting in anybody's vehicle she doesn't recognize. So. Now, now we don't know what happened to her. But fortunately she had given her the phone number, so Linda goes, Well, I gotta call and make sure she's okay. And so she calls, Joanne answered the phone. <laughs> Praise God, Joanne's home. She's there. Well, thank you so much for worrying about us, you know. I said, Well, keep in touch, you know, send us a Christmas card, whatever. It's like, you know, <laughs> but but it's that, that whole the whole the whole attitude of just coming alongside to help a person in their time of need. To be sensitive and to see what God sees. You know what he sees? He sees "We all need help. We all need help." The Comforter. Also, we're told that you know the resource that God's given us is the Holy Spirit. In John 16, notice in verses 13 through 15, He says, "But when the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose it to you what is to come." He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. You know, one of the greatest truths of the Bible is that the Spirit of God dwelling and residing in the heart of a believer will teach us God's truth. Now, I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life where someone suggested I read the Bible. You know, you should read the Bible great I'd start to read the Bible and go what in the world is in here I had no idea what is going on and I didn't understand a thing and I wasn't too excited about continuing the reading but when I met Jesus and then I was encouraged to read and study the Bible you know what was phenomenal I could understand what I was reading Spirit of God living in the heart of the believer, teaching us, instructing us, so that we would know the mind of God. For who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God? And It's the Spirit of God who moved men, holy men of God, moved along by the Holy Spirit, gave us the words of God so that you and I have it in written form. The infallible, authoritative, reliable word of God so that we would know the mind of God so that we could hear the God's word and then act upon it. Isn't it a wonderful truth to know God's word and then act upon it? Also, the Spirit of God convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment, as we see in this passage. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away, for if I don't, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you behold me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The word conviction means to pronounce a verdict. Believers are the witnesses of the word of God and his truth. The Holy Spirit's presence in our life is the prosecuting attorney living within us to go into the world of unsaved people and to help them see that they are lost as charged by God, that they are already condemned. For God didn't send his son into the world to judge it or to condemn it, for the world has already been condemned, but to save it. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer as we go out into the world is to help unbelievers see that they are condemned before God and in need of a heavenly pardon. To help them to see that they need to go to the cross, to help them to see that at the cross, God will not despise them. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. That at the cross, they can find a savior to free them from the sin of bondage. That the shackles of sin and of death will be removed and that they can find eternal life. See, the Spirit of God living in the hearts of believers is God's way to go into the world and reach people for Jesus Christ. Conviction. The purpose isn't to indict or to condemn. The world's already condemned. The purpose is to help people see their need of a pardon from God and Him alone. We need to help people see themselves that God sees them in order that they can find mercy at their time of need. To admit their guilt before God, to accept his payment in full on the cross, to accept his resurrection from the dead as ample evidence that he can and does forgive sin and give life, to receive humbly that gift of salvation that's offered to all who come unto him. Jesus never turned anyone away. They came with humility of heart, seeking forgiveness from the Savior. And lastly, he has given us a spirit of power. A spirit of power. And you shall receive power. And when you do, you will be witnesses of mine in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria into the outermost parts of the world. For God has not given his people a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and a sound mind. The purpose of the power of God living within us and dwelling us is not just so that you and I can live a life obedient to God, which is certainly true, but it is so that we can go out into the world with the express purpose of demonstrating the power of God, the dynamite of God in our own lives, that we who were far from God in rebellion against God found salvation at the cross. There is no one in our life that is not redeemable. There is no one in our world that we exist that God does not want to reconcile to, to God through Christ. For God desires that none would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. We have been given a spirit of power so that we can testify to the world of the goodness of our God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know him as your savior? Have you come to receive him Have you come before the cross and humbled yourself and threw yourself upon his mercy, trusting in his death and his resurrection for you? If you have, the spirit of God lives within you. And the promises of God are made known to you by the spirit who bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And so you know, even as I spoke these words today, you know how true they are because God affirmed in your heart the truth of the word of God. And what a wonderful place that is. If you're sitting here and you don't have a clue what's been discussed, then you need to go to the cross. Confess your sin to an almighty and perfect God. Humble yourselves and pray that he would forgive you. And the Bible says that he will. Look upon the empty tomb and realize that the one who was raised from the dead is the one who promises to give eternal life to those who come to him. The one who promises he has authority to forgive sin and trust in him and him alone for there is no other name given by by God to men under heaven by which men can be saved than Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together today and see the promises of Jesus. God, I just thank you and praise you that you're not like man who changes and shifts and changes positions and tries to be politically correct and tries to please men because you don't have to worry about pleasing men because you are God and you created us all. God, help us to see that the promises that you've made are true and that we would become people who live to please you and not to please men. Because as we do what is right by you, many men will be pleased and others will not. But let us not get so hung up on that as much as pleasing you, that it would be the desire of our heart, that anything that we do, we work heartily as under the Lord, for it's the Lord God whom we serve. Lord, we thank you for the promises that you've given us, the reliability of your word, the resources that you've given us, the reality of your presence in our life and the comfort of your peace. Lord, we thank you for that. We look forward as you lead us in different directions for some and others together that we can just trust you and take you at your word, that we'll be obedient and humble ourselves and be used by you to the greatest extent possible for your purposes, for your glory and to enhance your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, before you leave, a couple announcements quickly. Uh, number one, um, there's gonna be flyers at the back that are gonna uh, let people know uh, the new location. We're just two blocks from here at the Elks Lodge, which is two blocks from here at Santa Ana. Um, it's been said that you know this group has gotten to be the size of the elephant in the room, and so we thought it was very appropriate that God moved us next to the Santa Ana Zoo. So, so that, that, that's kind of nice. Uh, secondly there's also some flyers in the back um, that will uh, explain where an organizational meeting many of you have responded said hey we want to help out where can we help Uh, those flyers will be available and I also want to take a moment to thank Pastor Mitchell thank the elder board for allowing us to finish out the series and also to be able to pass out cards to get your name phone number information to hand out flyers uh, to promote the new ministry uh, you know and and I just want to you know acknowledge that because it's certainly something that uh, wasn't necessary and and, and uh, we appreciate that. Um, also, I want to, uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you, so we're, we're trying to plan, you know, as best we can. You know, man plans his way is just another thing I'll share with you. The Lord directs his path, so, you know, we're going to try the best we can. But how many adults plan on being there next Sunday down the street? Just to get a good feel for how much of a bigger room we're going to need. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, that's a good problem to have, by the way. And, and the second thing is how many people uh, uh, have. Uh, K, what we're going to have is K through six, and then we'll have nursery as well. So the gals are going to be heading all that up. I know they want this next question answered. How many people plan on being bringing children that would be involved in a nursery? And, and, okay, so, all right, and, and uh, so, pardon me. And then how many people will have children that it will be K through six? Oh, wait, oh, well, I'm sorry, you're not. See, you know what though, it's kind of hot in here and people don't want their aunt too long, see, cause you know, I know, just go like this. Okay, let's do that again. How many people are gonna have children nursery? Stand up? Oh, come on, now we're gonna get them to do that. All right, stand up. All right, all right, okay. Now, how many of you have like quintuplets or something? All right, all right. All right, now how many, uh, K through six, children K through six that, okay. All right? Okay. All right. Is that good? Cheryl used to work for the IRS, and so she's really technical about these things. <laughs> hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> All right, so that, that kind of helped. And then just so that you'll know, uh, the game plan is junior high school, high school age will participate and in, in, in join us in the worship service, uh, biblical instruction. Uh, any ministries that grow from that will be in homes during the week. We know God's not limited. The only thing he's limited by is the availability of God's people to get involved in ministry. So there's plenty of homes out there, plenty of people that have, you know, a, a desire, a heart for ministry. Junior high school, high school will be meeting during the week and we'll see how that all, it's exciting, not Knowing anything. You know, and and what I mean by it's exciting that we don't have to know everything, but that God knows it all, and we're just going to walk in obedience. So God bless you. I want to thank you. Uh, Those of you who are coming with us, I I look forward to seeing you. Uh, Those of you who are not, uh, I just want to thank you for the privilege, and I really do count it a privilege, to share the word of God with God's people. Thank you very much.